Hi, everyone. It's Ashley. Each week here on the deck, you hear raw interviews from family members and investigators who are looking for answers to cases that, for whatever reason, remain unsolved. But unsolved crimes are often unsolved for a reason. Time has cracked and curved around some of these cases for so long that getting answers has become complicated. Well, now, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra is turning back the clock to look at an unsolved case from 1991. She's speaking to investigators, key witnesses, and loved ones who are still searching for answers on how exactly 27-year-old Douglas Wagg Jr. died. But here's the thing. While Delia's investigation for this season of Counterclock started as a look into one man's suspicious death, a string of crimes and other mysterious deaths point to so much more. Tune in each week for new episodes of Counterclock Season 6 wherever you listen to podcasts. Love is more than a day on the calendar or a sign-off on a letter. Love starts with you. Show off your personal style with new Pandora jewelry pieces that radiate with your love from every angle. With Pandora's vast selection of rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and charms, there's endless ways to show what's in your heart. Write a love note to yourself or your best friend with handwritten charms or a personal engraving. Shop now at Pandora.net. Pandora. Be love. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need. No matter where you are in life, when you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Our cards this week are Rebecca Harvey and Stephen Hendricks the Queen of Clubs, and the Eight of Hearts from Indiana. In this episode, I'm going to tell you everything our reporting team could find out about Rebecca's horrific death in 1988 and how it's connected to Stephen, who is still missing today. For years, there hasn't been much out there on Rebecca's murder or Stephen's disappearance. That's because their case is a lesser-known unsolved mystery from right here in my home state of Indiana. But our team went right to the lead investigator on the case to learn more. More than 30 years later, the case continues to baffle law enforcement and everyone who's asking the question, what really happened to Rebecca Harvey and Stephen Hendricks? I'm Ashley Flowers, and this is The Deck. September 3rd, 1988 had been a busy day for Jackie and Carol Arnold. The couple had taken a road trip to and from the Indianapolis airport that afternoon to pick up a family member. That trip is about a two-hour drive southwest to their home in Washington, Indiana, which is this small town in Davies County. When they got to their house that evening on Oak Grove Road, nothing out of the ordinary was going on. The Arnolds lived on the outskirts of their small town, and a typical night there was quiet. They went to bed, and like every other night before, didn't hear a thing stir. That is, until around three in the morning. That's when Mr. Arnold woke up to something extremely unusual for the neighborhood. 
a strong smell of smoke. The smoke wasn't in their house. It was coming from outside. So he peeked out a window, and that's when he saw it. The neighbor's house was on fire. Almost the entire structure was engulfed in flames, to the point that there were flames shooting out from every direction, the roof, the windows, everywhere. Without even thinking, Mr. Arnold grabbed the phone and dialed the local fire department. In a matter of minutes, several volunteer firefighters responded to the scene. Some of them even drove up in their personal cars. They started fighting the blaze on the outside and called for more backup. As the firefighters quickly worked to knock down the flames, the Arnolds were left to helplessly look on from next door, terrified. With each piece of the house that collapsed, they worried that the young couple who lived inside hadn't made it out. Jackie and Carol knew that the vehicle parked out front belonged to a young man who lived there with his girlfriend. They hoped the couple maybe stayed out late or were just out of town. But their hopes were dashed when not long after the firefighters tamed the blaze, a coroner's van pulled up to the burned house. According to Indiana police records, when the firefighters made their way through the small house, they hollered for anyone alive inside to come out, but no one responded. When they'd reached a bedroom, they found the burned remains of a single human body on what was left of a bed. Now, it was clear just from looking at it that the remains were those of a person. But because they had been burned so badly, no one could tell right away whether the body was that of a woman or a man. Reports stated it appeared from burn patterns in the room that the person had been lying on top of the bed and likely never moved, even as the house caught on fire. Almost as if they'd been asleep the whole time and didn't even know that the house had started to burn. Before removing anything, the Davies County Sheriff's Department and Indiana State Police arrived and quickly secured the scene and started investigating. The first thing they needed to do was ID the body, but that would take a few days for the coroner to confirm. So in the meantime, detectives started talking with the neighbors. They wanted to get a better idea of who lived in the house, and that's where the Arnolds became helpful. The couple told detectives that a 22-year-old man named Stephen Hendricks had been renting the house, and just a week before the fire, his girlfriend, a woman named Rebecca Harvey, had moved in. They confirmed for investigators that it was Stephen's car that was parked out front of the scorched house. And the Arnold said they'd seen Stephen and Rebecca coming and going regularly, but never spent much time with them. They described Rebecca as being several years younger than Stephen and said overall the couple was nice, at least from the limited interactions they'd had. Unfortunately, the night of the fire, the Arnolds told police they didn't see much action happening at Stephen's house in between the time when they'd gotten home from the airport and before they went to bed. But what little info the Arnolds did give investigators set detectives off on a good start. They quickly learned that Stephen worked as a local mechanic in town, and 18-year-old Rebecca had recently dropped out of high school to live with him. With this information in hand, authorities had to wait for the coroner's office to identify who the body in the house belonged to. Was it Stephen or Rebecca or someone else? Eventually, law enforcement got medical records and dental impressions for Stephen and Rebecca, and those were compared to the burned remains. The results confirmed that the body belonged to Rebecca. The reason police were so focused on finding out who the victim was was because initial autopsy and evidence findings indicated that she had been intentionally set on fire. Traces of gasoline were found inside the house, particularly in the bedroom. That detail told investigators all they needed to know. They weren't just dealing with an accidental fire. They were dealing with murder. 
Now, the two glaring questions they needed to answer were, who did it? And most importantly, where was Stephen Hendricks? Why not grocery shop from the comfort of your couch? With Thrive Market, the no-junk-food healthy grocery store, you can. I've been gearing up for summer trying to get myself in shape, and I actually have been getting all of my whey protein and collagen powders from Thrive Market. Not just from Thrive Market, but I get the Thrive Market brand, which is delicious, priced super well, and I feel like it's a brand that I can trust because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods, and they restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. Save time and money as a Thrive Market member on every single grocery order. On average, customers save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash deck for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash deck. Thrivemarket.com slash deck. As authorities picked and shuffled through the charred remains of Stephen's rental house on Oak Grove Road, they started finding more clues. And one thing became very clear. The fire that eventually engulfed the whole structure had started in the bedroom where Rebecca's body had been found. Fire marshals found high concentrations of gasoline residue splashed all around the room. According to police records, the county coroner who conducted Rebecca's autopsy wasn't able to determine if she died before the fire started. And it's not super clear because investigators won't release the full autopsy report, but I guess there wasn't enough of Rebecca's lungs left for the coroner to determine if she inhaled any smoke before dying or if she was already dead before the fire started. Our reporter Emily interviewed Indiana State Police Sergeant Brock Worney, who said that he and the other investigators who have worked on this case over the years have always contemplated the terrible thought that maybe Rebecca burned alive because she was restrained or incapacitated somehow on the bed. But Sergeant Worney is actually one of a handful of investigators who doesn't believe that, though. He thinks Rebecca was killed prior to the fire starting. He says the position of her remains indicated she was lying on the bed motionless when she was set on fire. It doesn't say she was alive. She could have been. This is just an assumption. I would say she was dead. And that's just based off if the house is on fire and she's alive and she can get out, she probably would have got out. Saying I don't think a suspect would hold somebody down until they burnt. You know what I mean? They would be also be burnt. So my assumption is that she was dead before the fire started. Our team did find some rumors out there online that suggest Rebecca might have been tied to the bed while she was being burned, but Sergeant Worney said this isn't true. He couldn't really share more from his case file about that, but all he said was it's just not true. So the rumors just, about her being tied to the bed are false? I didn't see anything about her and the report being tied to the bed. Unfortunately, whether or not Rebecca was alive or dead before being set on fire is just not something anyone but her killer can know. All police were sure of at the time was that Rebecca's death was no accident. Naturally, their next move was to figure out where Stephen was. Firefighters found no trace of him in the house, but his car was left parked out front. His personal belongings, like his wallet and keys, were ultimately found in the house. That told investigators he either walked away from the crime scene or he got a ride or he was never there at all. 
But just the fact that Stephen was Rebecca's boyfriend and the only other person known to live in the house made him authorities' prime suspect. Police wondered if there was anything in the couple's history or relationship that could have led him to kill her and flee. Sometimes people say they were a happy couple, I guess, and then there's some that say that they were on and off. One time they'd be happy and one time they would be yelling at each other. The problem was everyone detectives spoke with, friends, family, the Arnolds, they all said that Stephen and Rebecca really seemed to love one another. In fact, they weren't even just girlfriend and boyfriend. They were engaged. It was kind of low-key, but together they had been working hard to save up for their wedding. Stephen worked on cars at a place in Washington called Craney's Body Shop, which is still in business today. And Rebecca worked as a waitress at a local restaurant called Patsy's Pizza. Some of her friends told police back in 1988 that she'd even contemplated going back to high school to finish her senior year and get her diploma. And the Arnolds told police that on several occasions, they'd gotten the impression from Stephen that he really encouraged Rebecca to go back and graduate. Emily tried to contact several of Rebecca's old classmates and friends about their relationship and even just to learn more about Rebecca in general, but no one responded. Records indicate that her parents died years ago and little else is known about her other than what I've told you. In 88, police knew just as much info, and so they were left asking the question, if Stephen and Rebecca had a wedding date on the horizon and a happy future ahead of them, then why would he kill her? That's a question that investigators have never been able to find the answer to because they have never been able to find Stephen. Today, he's listed as a missing person. Investigators back in 1988 interviewed his boss at the auto body shop in Washington right after the fire. And that guy told the cops that it was truly bizarre Stephen never showed up to work again after the incident. He was one of the best employees Craney's body shop had at the time. He was a very good worker, I know that, for them. They did report that in here, that because he, I think Mr. Craney at one time, when he hired him or they went and interviewed him, said he was a good worker. Mr. Craney told police that Stephen not returning to work was odd because he'd left thousands of dollars worth of personal mechanics tools inside the shop. For a long time, news publications that have covered this case reported conflicting information about whether or not Stephen collected his paycheck from his work before the fire. Some news reporters from that time said that Stephen did not pick up his last paycheck. But Sergeant Warney took a fresh look at the investigative reports specifically for this show, and he said that Stephen did, in fact, pick up his paycheck and cashed it at the local IGA the afternoon before the fire. So you could assume if Stephen was planning to murder Rebecca and take off and start a new life that he might have used that paycheck to get a head start. But then why wouldn't he take his valuable mechanics tools with him that he could, I don't know, sell or pawn off to help with his getaway? And why would he leave his wallet behind? It doesn't make sense. The last known sighting of Stephen was after he cashed his paycheck, just a few hours before the Arnolds woke up to see his house on fire. A friend of his was at the Oak Grove Road house with Stephen late in the afternoon on September 3rd. Police interviewed that friend not long after the crime, and he told investigators that Stephen was helping him work on his truck, which had overheated earlier that day. The guy told police that everything seemed normal with Stephen when he was there and that Rebecca was gone at the time working at Potsy's Pizza. No one has heard from or seen Stephen Hendricks since that moment. That's the hardest part of this case is he hasn't been located. So is he somebody that was involved or is it 
somebody else involved that took him somewhere else. That's the unknown right now. And that's probably the biggest question they had back then. It's probably still the biggest question we have today is where he's at. Never having a solid lead on where their prime suspect went and no forensic evidence to push Rebecca's murder case forward caused the investigation to grind to a halt. There's just so much unknowns, I think, in this case. So some people out there have a, make assumptions to the case and don't know the facts. And that's how the rumors start getting going around, you know, especially since Stephen's missing Hendrix. So with him missing and never being found, it, there's a lot of scenarios that could have took place, you know, that sends people into starting rumors. A bizarre theory that was floated on social media a few years back indicated Stephen was killed the same night as Rebecca and his body was dumped in Oak Grove Cemetery, not far from the original crime scene. Police took this tip so seriously that they taped off the cemetery and started to dig. Somebody believed a body to be, I don't remember whose body, if it was Hendrix or any or somebody else's, but we just looked into that area and nothing was located. The number of semi-credible tips dwindled as the case got older and colder. Police struggled to get to the bottom of who killed Rebecca and where Stephen was. Cold case investigators turned to re-examining Stephen's life more closely, hoping it would reveal more clues. Learning more about Rebecca and Stephen's past was essential for us to put this episode together. Law enforcement is limited to what detectives working on the case now can say on the record, but that's why we hired the team to dig deeper. Emily interviewed Stephen Hendricks' younger sister, a woman named Felicia, to learn more about him and his past, both before and while he was dating Rebecca. Felicia didn't want to be recorded, but she says for years she felt something terrible happened to her older brother the night Rebecca was murdered. Felicia says Stephen was funny, caring, and protective of her and anyone else he loved, including Rebecca. He enjoyed riding motorcycles, fixing cars, and getting together with family when he could. Growing up, Felicia and Stephen were tight, and on a weekly basis either went to dinner or the movies and sometimes went on camping trips. Felicia says that three days before the fire, she met Rebecca over the phone. She'd been chatting with her brother and said it was great to hear about how happy and excited he was to get married. Felicia says Rebecca sounded like a really sweet girl and she wishes she could have met her future sister-in-law in person. But for all his good qualities and bright future, Stephen did have his share of trouble, though. He didn't have a significant criminal history by any means. But according to a statement Stephen's boss gave police, Stephen had actually been arrested just one town over five months before the fire. Sergeant Werney said that police arrested Stephen for battery, criminal mischief, and criminal recklessness in late spring of 1988. The charges were fairly minor. And according to county jail records, Stephen only served 45 days in jail before being released on the morning of May 26, 1988. Here's the thing, though. Stephen's arrest wasn't because he got out of control with Rebecca or any kind of domestic violence incident. According to Sergeant Werney, Stephen was arrested for taking a baseball bat to the car of one of Rebecca's ex-boyfriends while the ex-boyfriend was in the car. As far as we could find, this information has never been reported in detail before. And what he told us about the ex really piqued my interest. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. Take it from someone who has made the mistake. 
And I should have freaking known better because in our very first house, we got a sectional from Ashley's store and it was amazing. So beautiful, withstood a lot. I mean, Chuck is absolutely invited on all the furniture, but you couldn't tell. And that couch, after years of service, then supported our lazy butts during COVID when we binge watched show after show after show. Not even so much as an indent in my favorite cushion. Long story short, when we moved houses, I was like, oh, I'll get a new couch. It costs more money. It must be better. No, I hate it. It looks like we've had it for a zillion years. Meanwhile, the Ashley couch is still thriving at my brother's place. And as if their stuff wasn't quality before, the new high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is somehow even better. It's designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Listen, I have corrected all of my mistakes, and we now have their new high-performance durable furniture. I got it in this beautiful shade of blue. I got some chairs. Love them, love them, love them. So whether you're hosting and toasting or just enjoying furry friends, you can relax knowing you have the durability and convenience of Ashley Store's newest assortment of high-performance furniture. Shop the life-resistant, high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. When it comes to travel, we all have that happy place that we're always dreaming about. Whether it's the snow-capped mountains, white sand beaches, a best friend's wedding, or even a hometown visit, we all have one. I mean, you're probably thinking of yours right now. Wherever your happy place is, Priceline wants to get you there for a happy price so you never have to miss a trip. And listen, as a mom, as a CEO, it's not easy for me to get away, or at least not far away. But ever since I was in college, I have been the queen of staycations. And hand to Bible, Priceline was my jam. I had it dialed in. I'd get four-star hotels for like 50 bucks a night and treat myself after a long work week and college classes. Every Vegas trip I ever took in my 20s was through Priceline. I couldn't even believe anyone ever booked anything another way. And Priceline is more than just hotels. Priceline lets you book your entire trip all in one place. So download the Priceline app today to save up to 60% off select hotels and go to your happy price with Priceline. Sergeant Wernie said at one point in time, this ex-boyfriend who Stephen attacked was someone investigators did look at pretty hard. There were other persons of interest, uh, of course, ex-boyfriends to her, I think, were persons of interest. Um, were they ever named as suspects? No, I guess everybody's a suspect, so it depends on how you put that, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, were they suspects? Yeah, they were suspects, but um, they were interviewed, and obviously nothing came out of those interviews where they're not in custody or... You know what I mean? They were locked up for it. So, But are they still suspects? Yeah, I guess anybody's still a suspect in this case because we don't have the answers yet. The rumor at the time was that Rebecca's ex was overheard in a local store stating that if he saw Rebecca and Stephen together, he would kill them both. As promising as this lead seemed, after several interviews with locals who reported the rumor, police determined someone made the whole story up. Everybody was interviewed at the time all family members. And, I mean, the, the I saw the list of people being interviewed. It's huge. They did a very good investigation who did this. I mean, they interviewed everybody, everybody that knew anything, friends, to family, to neighbors, to co-workers. Everybody was interviewed and asked questions. On top of that, Rebecca's ex provided police with an alibi. According to reports, he was said to be at a friend's house the night of the fire, and he had some buddies who corroborated his story. 
But there never seemed to be any additional follow-up by police that the ex-boyfriend provided proof that he was at the friend's house the whole night. What's worse, police said that that ex-boyfriend has since died. So who knows if he took any secrets to the grave with him? According to Sergeant Werney, two other suspects emerged over the years that felt like they could be solid leads. Police say these suspects were two men from Indianapolis who were seen in the town of Washington on September 4th and 5th of 1988. They had been hired to do some electrical work at Potsy's Pizza, the same restaurant where Rebecca worked. While on shift the night of September 4th, the bartender at the restaurant saw these two men come in. And after a while, the guys started chatting her up. According to her transcript in Sergeant Warney's case file, the bartender mentioned the men indicated they wanted to buy some cocaine while they were in town. The strangers also stated that they didn't have a place to stay while they were there, so they tried to convince the bartender to let them crash with her. The bartender said that the guys wouldn't let up, so finally she told them that they could crash at her place, but she intentionally gave them a wrong address to throw them off, which is like such a great crime junkie move on her part. But according to her interview with police, though, these two guys somehow still figured out where she lived. And when she got home from work that night, which was technically early in the morning, September 5th, the men were at her kitchen table. Her boyfriend's brother had let them inside. The bartender told police that she sent these guys packing into the darkness in the direction of Oak Grove Road. And that would have been around the same time of morning that Rebecca Harvey was murdered. Now, I don't know if the police ever tracked these guys down and interviewed them or ever got alibis for them. But from what Sergeant Warney said, the men reportedly just drove around the rest of the night and morning in Washington. So maybe the cops did interview them. Maybe they just relied on eyewitness sightings. I'm not really sure. But either way, Sergeant Warney said they could never come up with a motive for why these men would have been involved in killing Rebecca and abducting or killing Stephen. I mean, I guess you could venture and say robbery or possibly it was sexually motivated. But again, why take Stephen? Why burn the house and only douse Rebecca with gasoline? But just the detail that these guys were working at Potsy's Pizza the same day as the crime is super interesting to me. Unfortunately, the police could never come up with enough evidence or witness testimony to connect these men or anyone else to the case. And that's what the problem has always been and might always be with this case if we keep looking where we've already looked. The reality is the key people that have been investigated are either missing or dead. The ex-boyfriend, deceased. The shady guys from Indianapolis, confirmed dead. Stephen hasn't been seen in 33 years. So possibly he's dead too. Who did it? We don't know. Is Steve dead or did somebody else kill him and take him out first, you know what I mean, and then go to the house. I mean, just a lot of unknowns. Read through this report, we still don't know either way. And that's just making a guess on my part. We don't know whether he's a suspect or a victim, obviously because he's missing, can't be interviewed. Makes you assume something happened to him, but at the same time, as a detective, you never want to assume anything because if you assume that, next thing you know, he shows up somewhere. Just because he changed identities or he started a new bank account under a fake name, So I've learned in this job never to assume anything. Anything can happen. Despite these setbacks, Indiana State Police think there are still people out there who know exactly what happened to Rebecca Harvey and Stephen Hendricks. And those people have to come forward to even begin to move this case forward.
you never lose hope. You always hope you can solve it. But the longer the years go by, the harder it is to solve a case like this. Somebody knows something out there, I would say, in this case. Whether Stephen's still alive and maybe somebody's talked to him and he's admitted to killing somebody and lives in another state, or if an ex-boyfriend at this point has told anybody that they admitted to anybody over the years that they did it. It's just anybody that would know any information just to come forward. It's been long enough. That's what we hope for. It's been long enough and the truth needs to come out. The family needs closure. If you have any information about the murder of Rebecca Harvey or the disappearance of Stephen Hendricks, you're asked to call the Indiana State Police Jasper Post at 812-482-1444. The Deck is an Audio Chuck production with theme music by Ryan Lewis. To learn more about The Deck and our advocacy work, visit thedeckpodcast.com. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? I was shocked, you know? They were always such a good team. So successful. But to do something like that? To exceed their budget? While being over budget might not be a crime, it can disrupt workflows. With Monday.com, you and the team can be sure that you're all in sync. All the data, latest updates, files, and budgets are visible to everyone, so you won't miss a thing. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.